this Father's Day, and normally on Mother's Day, Father's Day, we show a video, and uh, I showed you my video earlier in the service, but I came across another one that is mostly just for me. I, you may not like this. It's just for me. I liked it because if there was, I've not been a part of a support group yet in my life. You may be thinking, well, maybe he should join a few support groups, um, but I've not yet in my life, but if there was a support group that I was going to join, this would be the one. Peace. Okay, dads, let's go ahead and get started, guys. Now, some of you have already let me know how uncomfortable you were in last week's meeting. So tonight, we're going to try to respect each other's boundaries. What? Tonight, we've also got a guest with us, David. And would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, hey, guys. I'm David. David. How many kids do you have, David? None. At least not at the moment. Uh, my wife is pregnant, and uh, she should be delivering any day now. That's great. Super. Oh, great. Awesome. Who'd like to go first? Anyone. Anyone. I'll go. Perfect. Todd? Yes. My daughter and I went to the mall, and she said she wanted to take the stairs to the second level. And I said, I don't trust stairs because... They're always up to something. <laughs> Todd, I'm sorry that happened. I encourage you to try to resist the urge to make jokes like that. My turn? Can I go? Okay. Yesterday, actually, my daughter got home and she asked me how my day was. And I said, well, a guy tried to sell me a coffin, but that's the last thing I need. Oh, Jerry, that joke is dead on arrival. Because it's the last thing I need. David, how about you? Oh, I didn't, I didn't say this is a safe zone. Just jump on in. Yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm just scared of being a dad. I'm afraid I'm going to start telling bad jokes just like my dad. Well, it might be in our nature. We can fight against it. Hey, speaking of nature, I tried to catch some fog yesterday. I missed. <laughs> M-I-S-T. Oh, You're a monster. I, this is where the boundary is. I'm done. This is where you are. Hello? Really? Okay, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I'll be right there. That was Julie. Her water just broke. I guess the baby finally ran out of womb. <laughs> I'm gonna be a dad. Don't you think it should be going? Oh, yeah. anyway, that, oh, sorry, there was one more at the end. That's okay. I'll tell you a joke later. We'll make up for it. Anyway, um, but anyway, that was just for me. I apologize for wasting two and a half minutes of your time, but that was just for me on Father's Day because I like to tell stupid jokes, as you know, and uh, I think uh, being a dad oftentimes comes with that, um, and I appreciate just the way that our culture has embraced that about dads because I think that's always been a thing, but now it's just embraced and celebrated, so keep, keep up. Don't, don't listen to that. Keep up the funny jokes, dad. So, um, but uh, I, I saw that video, and I thought, you know what, we all have annoying people in our life. Um, some of them tell annoying jokes that sometimes we, we don't like to laugh at and things like that. But I love the little guy, the guy who wrote the little, um, little snippets talking about how his neighbors officially hate me. 
Me and a few of my friends were having a bonfire in the backyard, and we were roasting marshmallows and stuff, when suddenly we hear sirens, and we see a fire truck turn into the street in front of us. So we all went running to see what was up, and our neighbor's house was on fire. Well, when we got there, the wife was crying into her husband's arms, and we were just kind of standing there, and then she saw us, and she gave us uh, a look for like 10 seconds, and then she gave us the dirtiest look ever. And it turns out we were still holding our sticks with the marshmallows on it, watching the fire, talking about the bad timing of all that. And so um, we all have annoying neighbors, annoying people. And, and the story that we began last week looking at this series from the Gospel of Luke, that uh, we're looking at all these stories that Jesus told. Jesus was a storyteller. But Jesus didn't tell stories just for laughs or just for because. He told stories because he wanted to get past the relational barriers, the emotional barriers, the, the racial barriers, all the things, the barriers that we kind of put in our minds. And, and he wanted us to get past that and to see the heart of what God was trying to teach to them and teach us. And so we are looking at these stories over the summer, several of them, and, uh, and just thinking about some of the things Jesus taught us. Well, the story that Jesus tells us today is in Luke chapter 11, and it's a story that it very much is about an annoying neighbor. It's about an annoying neighbor who wants to borrow food at the most inconvenient of times uh, because he has a need in his life. And, and what, what does that have to do with God? What does that have to do with you? Well, that's what we want to see here today. And so as we jump into this today, in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, uh, we're introduced to the story before the story. And so let's jump into our text and look and see what it says. It says this in verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. And here comes the crazy story about the crazy neighbor. In verse five, Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine has, on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. But I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, and I love that phrase, your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so Jesus comes along and, and the whole thing starts with a simple little statement that Jesus is praying. And his disciples um, watch Jesus pray and, and it shouldn't surprise us that you see those words in the text because many times, especially in Luke's gospel, he, he highlights this attribute of Jesus' life that Jesus was a praying man. 
He prayed more than he actually talked about it. We talk about it a lot. Maybe don't do it enough. But Jesus was one of those kind of guys who just did it a lot. Nine different prayers of Jesus that we have in Luke's gospel. The disciples have watched this for some time now. And they see that when Jesus prays, he's different. Things happen. And they're just amazed by that, by the, uh, by the I think maybe the aura, maybe the, the strength, the inner um, character that just grows in Jesus, the connection that he has with God because Jesus prays. And they realized that following Jesus was more, was more than just saying what Jesus said. It was very much about doing what Jesus did. And so they, they asked Jesus, okay, look, Jesus, we see you do this. We see this praying thing that you do, and, and we want you to teach us about this. Now, they're not people who have never prayed before. These are good Jewish men. They have grown up in a culture from their earliest ages where they did repeated several different prayers throughout their day. They went to temples to pray. They, they, did, they knew prayer, but they didn't know prayer like Jesus did prayer. And so there was something about the way that Jesus prayed that made his life different. And they wanted some of that in their life. And so the first thing I want you to note with me is this this morning. That prayer was key for Jesus to keep God at the center of his life. That prayer was, was key. If you want to go to the next slide, if you would, Jonas. There you go. Thank you. There you go. Nope. Next one. Sorry. Not that one. There you go. I think somewhere in there. Is it in there? There you go. Prayer was key uh, for Jesus to keep God in the center of his life. And I think the thing that they were amazed by, that Jesus was always so God-centered. Everything Jesus did, everything he said, everywhere he went, all the interactions he had, there was constantly this, I want to honor God, I want to put God first, I want people to see God in my life in every area of life. So whether he was in church, in synagogue, or whether he was just walking down the street interacting with people, there was this God-centeredness to his life. And the disciples could connect the dots and say, you know what, his prayer life has something to do with that. And so please, Jesus, teach us how to pray. You see, the same thing should be true in our life and my life today. That when we ask God to teach us to pray, he wants to do that. He wants us to, to teach us to pray like Jesus prayed but one of the things that oftentimes happens is that, that we, we pray in a way that maybe Jesus didn't pray, that he's just modeled for us in that text. And so they were missing something, and I think we would probably all agree that, boy, I sure like the idea of prayer, and I, I read about it in the Bible, and it promises to do things in my life, and, and, I, and I love the idea of that, but, but I don't always see things happen. I don't see things change in my life when, or in me when I, when I pray. And, and so what am I doing Wrong? That's maybe not the right word, but uh, how, what am I missing when I think of that? And so we struggle with prayer, and if we're honest, and we should be honest, that one of the things that makes it hard for me to pray is that prayer can sometimes begin to feel very stale. Prayer kind of think, okay, I've prayed through my list, and, and I pray through another list, and, and just there's not this vibrancy or life to it. And Jesus never seemed to get stale in his relationship with God in prayer. And so he, when asked to teach them to pray, he repeated a prayer that, this is Luke's version of it, it's a little more condensed than Matthew's version of it that you probably know more readily. But I'd like for you to go to verses two through four, and I want you to read that with me, if you would. I want us to read this text together, um, that Jesus said to them these words, read it out loud with me, that when you pray, say, Father, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And so Jesus said, look, if you want to pray like I pray, this is how you should pray. And I think the thing that I want us to focus on here this morning is where his prayer starts. Because as I've kind of thought through this this week and thought about my prayer life, and and I've tried to be intentional to say, you know what, every prayer that I pray, I want to ask myself this question, what do you pray for first? What is the first thing that you pray for? And if you're like me, and you may not be, hopefully not like me, but maybe as a human condition, I think our tendency is to say, man, I've got these needs, I've got these things I need to say to God, and so I charge into that. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't run to the front of the line and say, God, I need my daily bread, and I need you to help me, I'm struggling, I need, 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 I need this. Where does Jesus start? And what do you, and can he ask, challenges us to ask the question, well, what do I pray for first? What's the first thing that comes out of my mouth when I pray or my mind? And for Jesus, it was not me. It, it was not what I need or what I want. It was very much a God-centered prayer. And the next question I want you to ask is, God's honor my first prayer. Is God's honoring my first prayer? Is the thing that I want most of all, and the thing that I think sets Jesus' prayer apart from every other prayer these disciples had heard in their life was the first thing was, God, I want you to be holy. I want your name to be honored. Hallowed is that word. I want it to be set aside. And I want everything to be spotlighting your name. I want people to see how great you are. I want people to see how faithful you are. I want people to see how you provide for those you love. I want, I want people to see you. Not, God, I, I'm hungry, I need food, but God, I want people to see your, your name be great. And I think when we start prayer that way, and, I, and I've tried over the last several days, whenever I prayed to start that, and what I always find is that I catch myself getting to this after, God, I've got these things in my mind. And then I come around to, oh yeah, and by the way, if we could honor you too, that would be great. And I'm not doing it intentionally. I just catch myself thinking, that's a hard place to start when you've got emotions or you've got struggles or you've got temptations or you've got needs and you want to just charge to God with those. And I don't think, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just thinking, what did Jesus do? Jesus doesn't exclude daily needs. He doesn't exclude uh, relational tensions, forgiveness and hurt feelings and all those kind of things. He doesn't exclude weakness and struggle. He doesn't exclude those things. But what he does is he teaches us to see them through the lens of, God, I want to honor you first. No matter how you answer the prayers to meet my needs, no matter how you work out my relationships, no matter how you help me uh, to be strong against temptation, I want first to honor your name. I want you to look good. And so how you answer my prayers depends completely upon what's going to make your name look the best. What honors you most? What gives you the most glory and not me? And so what we tend to get sucked into is is the temptation to, to pray about our kingdoms, our needs, our wants first. And again, we should pray about those things but we need to flip those things around according to Jesus' example. So God's name is hallowed if we pray for it or not. God is holy, and yet the desire of Jesus for his followers was to say, hey, I want you to see how great God is, and I want you to to seek that first, to seek to honor him first. And so we should pray out of a passion to see a greater recognition of who God is and what he has done 
We want the world to know the God that we know. And I think you find that in scripture. Psalm 31 verse three says this, for you are my rock and my fortress and for your name's sake you lead me and you guide me. God, I want this all to be something that makes you look good. Lead me, guide me, work in my life. But I don't want it to be the way I want it to be. I want it to be the way that makes you look the best. Because what am I, I going to choose if I'm leading my life? I'm going to choose the comfortable. I'm going to choose easy. I'm going to choose what's convenient for me and my time schedule and when I want it, how I want it. But what does God oftentimes do the most effective work in your life of glorifying himself? It's sometimes by leading you through less convenient ways. Maybe it means he, he provides for you in ways that would be different than you would map them out in your own mind. But yet, that's the prayer of, 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 of Christ's followers, that God, for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. And so why does prayer get stale? Let's go back to that thought. Why does our prayer life get stale? I think that prayer gets stale when it's all about me. Um, prayer gets pretty stale when it becomes all about me. Um, I do this sometimes. I, I get caught up talking in a conversation, trying to talk about yourself too much because my life is so fascinating. Not really, that's sarcasm. Um, hashtag sarcasm there. And so uh, my life is not that interesting, but we all have a tendency to talk about our life more than we probably should in the course of a conversation. Um, and so when I talk to God, the God of heaven, the God of the universe, and my prayer focus is about, well, God, this is going on, this and this and this, and I need this, and I need all these things. My little, my little corner of the universe, that gets pretty stale pretty quick. Because I get to the end of that list and I think, okay, well, I'm just going to repeat the same thing I said yesterday because you apparently didn't hear me because you didn't do what I wanted to do yesterday. And it's about me and my kingdom and what I want versus if you reverse that around, that my prayer life changes when I make God's reputation and glory my highest concern. You see, my prayer life changes when I flip that around, that when my prayers are God, you are a great God. And I have these needs. I, have, I need you to meet some needs in my life. But boy, God, I, I want to do it in a way. I want you to meet this need in a way that brings you the most glory. And, and, and maybe you'll notice the little word there that's the, the pronoun in there. It's not singular. It's plural. God, provide for our needs. Give us today our daily bread. And so maybe that takes the focus off of me, right? It's not about me. God, it's not just my needs, but I want you to provide for all of us in a way that makes you look good. There are these needs, God, and, and everyone around me needs daily sustenance just like I do. And so maybe that expands your circle, your mind a little bit to say, hey, this isn't about just what God's going to give to me in my bank account or my, my shelves, or my pantry. It's very much about God. I've got a little bit in my pantry, and so maybe you could provide for all of us as we all are generous with each other and we help each other. And, and God looks good when God's people are praying together for all of us and in our needs. Or maybe, God, there's this whole thing, man, sometimes we bump up against each other and we hurt each other's feelings and, and we need to learn to forgive as Jesus prays about in that prayer. But God, when we forgive and when the church is a forgiven and a forgiving people, God looks good, right? So God, work out my relational strifes and struggles in a way that makes you look good. Or maybe when we are a pure and a holy people, that whole prayer of God, lead us away from temptation or lead us through temptation. God, help me to be strong when that because I wanna be a, I wanna be a part of making your name look good. And you helping me to do that and helping me to walk in character and strength is certainly a part of that. That my prayer life changes when I make God's reputation and glory my highest concern. 
And so you and I go through life and, and really the question that we have to ask ourselves is what is it that I really want? Why do I pray? Do I pray because I want what I want and I need God to be the, the vending machine who provides me what I want so that I can have everything in my life the way I want it to be and all is in order the way I want it to be? You see, when it's all about me, life gets pretty stale pretty quickly, as we just said. A couple of nights ago, we were invited to go to uh, uh, Kauffman Stadium and to witness the uh, uh, Royals, the mighty, mighty Royals this year, to watch them in action. And... Uh, I was, we happened to be sitting in our seats, and, and during the game, there was two different vendors selling cotton candy, which I didn't know they walked around with cotton candy anymore, but they do. But there was two of them. One of them was in a bag, and I think it was all pink, and then there was a cotton candy vendor who had it all decorated in a box, and it was multicolored. And so I could have cotton candy pink in a bag, or I could have it in a box and multicolored, and I thought, that's great, but what's cotton candy? It's just still air. It still still leaves you lacking. It's not, it's not a meal. You can't live on that. That leaves you empty and, and sticky, but it leaves you empty uh, very quickly because no matter how you package it, no matter how you wrap it, it's still just nothing but air and sugar and it dis dissolves and disappears quickly. And self does that. And yet when we pursue God and, and ask ourselves the question, are my prayers hungering for God? Am I really seeking after God and, and trying to say, God, this make my prayers about something so much bigger than me? And so that just changes the way that you see prayer. It changes the way you see God. It changes the way you see yourself. You see, the problem is that most of us are trying to live on a cotton candy diet, and yet our, our lives are hungering for, for something much more substance, of much more substance. We're, we're looking for real food that's really going to satisfy us, and yet we continue to chase the cotton candies of the world, and it just leaves us empty, it leaves us hungry, and most of all, dissatisfied in our souls. And yet Jesus, who had so little, but yet he seemed so satisfied in so many ways, right? People could mock him, people could destroy him, people could do all these things to him, and yet Jesus had this reservoir of life that he just continued to give out to people. Even when he's dying on the cross, he's still pouring out himself to his mom and to, to John and to others around, the, the man who's crucified with him. He always had this wellspring of life because I think it wasn't about Jesus, it was about, Father, what can I do to make you look good? And, and when your prayers begin there, all of a sudden everything changes in how you see everything that follows after that. You see, our prayers reveal a lot about what we crave in life. Psalm chapter 42, verses one and two, I would just ask if you've had these thoughts lately and when you've prayed that as a deer pants for, uh, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63 echoes that. It says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. You see, those are the echoes of a hungering heart that hungers for God, that hungers for his glory, that hungers for his greatness to be seen through my life. And that's a very different way of praying. And so I would just ask us the question, are those the reflective thoughts that we're praying about? Or is it God just give me this or fix this or, or do something about this? 
Um, those, nothing wrong with those things, but may it be under the umbrella of God, may your name be great. And however you need to fix these things so that you're glorified, I'm good with that. And so uh, I love the story of Dwight Eisenhower and his wife Dowd, uh, Mamie Dowd, excuse me, that they married many, many years ago. I think I have a picture of them maybe. Um, got an Eisenhower picture back there. There we go. There we go. And so that's Dwight Eisenhower. And the story is, is told that he met Mamie Dowd, his future wife, at a dinner party. And he was smitten with her immediately. And so he asked her out. And she said, I want you to call me back in a month. Well, he called her, but he called her the next day, every 15 minutes, until she finally agreed to go on a date with him that night, which he showed up four hours early for. And they were engaged in three months. Now, in today's culture, that may look a little creepy and stalkerish, but back then that was sweet and romantic, okay? And so he, there was no doubt about his intentions and his enthusiasm for that relationship. And, and God, I think, hungers to see that from us as well, that we hunger, God, I, I want to be with you. I, I want to see you grow in this world because you are great in this world and I want the world to see that. And maybe my life can be a little bit of a billboard that shows that along the way. And so there's an interesting thing I want to finish with. Let's get to the story. We really haven't talked about that, right? And so Jesus tells the story about this neighbor who one of the most rude things that you could do was that when a guest showed up at your house is not to feed them. And so the context of the story that Jesus tells is that this guy has guests who show up late at night, knock on his door, and he has no food to give them. And so culturally, he doesn't want to be rude. He, do, he wants to save face. And so he goes to his friend who lives next door, bangs on his door and says, I need some bread. I need some food. I got guests who just showed up and I got to feed them. Well, the guy in the house is thinking, well, no way. I'm not going to get up and, and do that because kids are asleep and, and probably in a one-bedroom house kind of thing or one-room house. Uh, that you, to get, for one person to get up, the whole house is up and you start the whole process of the kids being awake and, and uh, nobody enjoys that having to put them in bed twice. And so um, they go through this thing. I'm not getting up. There's no way I would do that. But I, I love the, the phrasing of the text that we chose there, that, that just that determination, right? Of uh, It keeps knocking. I've got to provide this. And so Jesus says, saying that God's like that. Jesus is not saying, well, God is sitting in, in the house and if you just keep annoyingly banging on his door long enough, he's finally going to get annoyed with you just to get you to go away. He's going to provide for you. That's not what he's saying. It's a contrast. It's like, well, if, if you understand this analogy, and probably many of them had had that happen to them, and he also ties in the, 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 the ability for earthly dads to give good gifts to their kids, even though we're fallen in our flesh, even though we're all kinds of messed up, but we can give good gifts to our kids. He says, well, if, if you can do this, if this is what it's like over here, how much more then is a heavenly father Anxious to give good gifts to his kids. But I love the way that Luke does it a little bit different than Matthew's version of this. Because Luke answers, say, God is anxious to give you not your daily bread, not, your, not all this stuff. What does he say that he's going to give them? He's anxious to give them the Holy Spirit. Which is kind of an interesting way to end that phrase. But I think that, why does Jesus have the life he did? It's because the Holy Spirit is God's good gift to nourish your soul. You see, temporary things, things that you can spend or buy, those all come and go, and they're all, they kind of pass through our life, but they don't nourish the soul. But God's Holy Spirit, God's very presence himself, is given to us in a way that nourishes our soul and feeds our hearts and does things within us as it comforts and it helps and it counsels and it guides us and it confronts us over things in our life and it brings life through us. 
And so Jesus is not praying, teaching us to pray to get all that we want, but he's really helping us to see that really prayer is about getting more of God. It's really about saying, God, the thing I really need, although it looks like I need food, and maybe I, I got to eat today, but, but the thing that I need, that food, I'm going to need another meal tomorrow, and, and, and relational struggles and, and temptation struggles, those are all things that are fine. Those are realities every day. But the thing that I need underneath all of those things is I need more of you, God. Because if I have you, all of those things will take care and I'll be fine. There's this inner, inner feeding, inner, inner thriving of heart that's going to take place. And so I would just finish with this last question, statement, I guess, finally here, that, that God oftentimes may leave us waiting. He may leave us outside the door knocking, asking and seeking. But the reason he does that is not because he is callous and doesn't care, but because he wants to give you more of himself. And the place that you find more of himself and more of him in your life is oftentimes in the waiting rooms of life. When you're waiting for God to, to provide some physical need or when you're waiting on God to, to fix some relational thing in your life or you're waiting on God because you're having character or moral struggles and, and you're just going through some things and you think God fix this or, or provide this. But, but in the meantime, before God does, what do you find God you find God to be faithful. You find God to be loving. You find God to be there. You find God to be enough. And you find more of God in your life and, and it satisfies you in a way that the fixing of the peripheral things never really will. But you find a God who is there through it all. And so my hope for us today is that we would see prayer a little bit differently. That God, may I honor you, and when I wait, the thing that, please remind me that the thing that I need